Welcome to episode 18 of the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson, and I am joined today by Carla with Weird Giraffe Games, Derek with Lanyap Games, and Bez, the eponymous Bez of Stuff by Bez. Carla, Derek, Bez, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Hello. So we're going to start talking about getting into board game design. So let's start with how people here got into board game design. Carla, let's start with you. Okay, um, so I've been playing tabletop games for a while, and I was at Dragon Con one year, and I had some free time, and there was this panel that was how to design a board game. So I went to it, and it gave like a bunch of good tips, and like I got like super excited about it. And then, so Dragon Con is about four hours from where I live. So on the four-hour drive back, I started designing a game. And then, like, I really loved it, so I kept doing it. Awesome. Derek, how about you? Mine is not nearly as fun as hers. Uh, I was playing roller hockey after work, and I had some friends introduce me to actual hobby board games. And I started introducing everybody I knew to that. And then this one friend of mine who is, uh, uh, he, he's one of those get-rich-quick guys. He's looking for every opportunity to make money. was like, oh, if board games are so popular, why don't we make a board game? And then I went back to the original friends who introduced me to games, and they were like, that's, no, that's not a very good idea. Oh, okay. And then I just dropped it. And then, like, a month later, I had a dream where I went to a, this... Uh, launch party for this brand new board game that was super amazing. Everybody was excited. It was wonderful. And I woke up and was like, oh, I have to make this game. And it just, it's not stopped since then. That's very interesting. So are you still working on that game? Technically, no. It is shelved. <laughs> uh, because it's it's blind bidding. I love the game. I'm just really, really terrible at, like, at selling and making super deep, amazing themes. And this one is not going to sell well unless I come up with an amazing theme to stick on it. So it just, it has to kind of sit there. It's not dead till it's thrown away. So there's still Yes, time. sir. <laughs> Fez, how about yourself? Um, I always loved games, but originally I thought I was going to be a video game designer. So yeah, I went to university for that and I actually got into modern Euro games through basically just playing abstract games online. And then I found a local group for Board Game Geek. And sure enough, after I'd played a bit of this, I wanted to get into making these tabletop games. But what really allowed me to get into it was moving down to London, where basically just the population density means that there's more like-minded people. I mean, up in Glasgow in Scotland, I struggled to, you know, find enough people to game with as often as I wanted. But here, if I wanted to, I could game literally seven days a week. And yeah, there's now Playtest UK. It was just a place where people could um, bring along their own designs, have them playtested by their peers and yeah, being in that environment was fantastic. And so I just brought along a bunch of things, make, brought along some slightly less terrible things, brought along some <laughs> other ideas, and then eventually some of them were good. And yeah, 
I've not stopped and it's been now it's like instead of twice a month it's like 13 times a month which is amazing awesome so myself I've um I've played games my whole life I was big into Magic the Gathering for most of my life at this point since middle school so I had a lot of friends I played Magic with and one night one of those friends invited me over to play this game called Eclipse that I had never heard of we sat down, we played Eclipse, I was amazed by it, and simultaneously got into hobby board gaming and into board game design. I started listening to podcasts, and I have been hooked ever since. Wow, that's cool. So it sounds like for you, at least as soon as you saw this thing, you just wanted to get stuck in and start making it. Is that been a constant thing? Like you always want to make everything? Yeah, it's... um. I've always been a creative person, but not particularly artistically inclined. So, like, I can't make music, I can't draw, I can't paint, but I like to create. I was really interested in, like, the deck building part of Magic was always something I enjoyed, so that creativity. So, board game design, it it allows a lot of creativity, but you don't necessarily need those traditional artistic skills for creativity. So I think it's a it's a nice mix. So for you then, is it more about the the problem solving or like the the story world building? I say it's definitely the problem solving. Okay, sure. I I enjoy worlds, but I'm like writing is another thing that I'm not <laughs> as good as I would like to be at. So sure, I would love to make like the bones of a game and work with a writer to like design the world and build that up. I second but, uh, that. I definitely yeah. second that. And like game design is a game in itself to me because it's solving problems. It's incredibly complex. I mean, sorry, I'm going to talk a lot about Mark Rosewater because yes, I think that, yeah, the man has some amazing words. And one of the things he often talks about is, yeah, when we're talk- making a game, it's really tempting to try and set all these rules for ourselves. And yeah, without just parroting him, I think that is such a good point because you need to be wary of falling into the trap where you feel, okay, I've got this task for myself or I've set this restriction. And yes, having that restriction, it's really good in setting you down a different path. But at a certain point, you've got to think, okay, I'm not going to follow this restriction if it's making the game worse at this point. And don't do something just to be different or, yeah, don't. And it gets into that, well, it's okay to copy large swathes of a game and it's okay to do something even if it doesn't look particularly clever or feel particularly ingenious or fun in its designing. Because you're not just trying to make the best designing game for yourself while you're designing as tempting as that may be. That's a good point, Greg. I know Mark Rosewater is fond of saying restrictions breed creativity, mm-hmm. but at the same point, you have to know when to let that go to let the game be what it needs to be. Yeah. Mm. I don't know about all of you, but I have been addicted to game design since I started. Like, <laughs> I can't stop. It is kind of an obsession. I'm thinking about it all the time, staying up late. Yes, sir. Writing notes. I'm at several hundred game ideas that I'm never going to get to. <laughs> what about all of you? Is that a similar situation? It's like exactly that. Like I cannot like I spend so much time on game design. Like I have given up sleep. That's basically all I do ever <laughs> since I started. 
Well, that's not healthy. You've got to, you know, take care of yourself and do some self-care, Carla. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm... Well, that's why I call it an addiction. Yes. It really is. It overpowers some, like, basic things you should be doing because it's so all-encompassing. Yes. Agreed. But, I mean, it's a healthier addiction than other things, so. Yeah, it's way better than smoking. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cheaper, but no. healthier. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it is cheaper. It depends on how you do it, I suppose. Well, also in California, we've got like a $4 tax on every pack. So the the, cl- the price is pretty close. Fair enough. I mean, for me, I just designed basically using cards. And yeah, I've had some bits which I've salvaged from other games, but the only expenditure really has been on, yeah, marker, pens... Stettler, Lumocolor mainly, and yeah, blank playing cards. And so beyond that, for me at least, there's not that much of an outlay. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about board games that you just do, I mean, for a card game at least, or whatever it is, you just buy some things and you can just use literally paper and pens. It doesn't need to be expensive and it's within everyone's financial grasp, I think. That's a good point. Uh, the reason it's so expensive for me is because I found the Game Crafter. Yes. And I cannot pass up having nice printed cards even several versions earlier than I should bother printing them. Yep. I do that mis- that thing too. That mistake. I'm, I'm trying to be better with my, my current game I'm working on. I'm, I still price it out on the Game Crafter because it, it helps get a sense of how things are going. And if I do move forward with the prototype there, I want to make sure I can make it. But... The current prototype is something like $120, and that's way too much to actually order until it's really good. So I've been holding off and just using a lot of paper. Wow. Well, and even then, like, I probably should have done more Game Crafter stuff, because every time I get the art done and I play my game, like, I find different art things that I wouldn't normally see. Like, so doing, like, art playtesting is really important. True, true. I get around that a little bit because I'm one of those weirdos uh, where um, I have to lay it out on my computer. I can't, for whatever reason, I can't brain through my design trying to do it by hand on a sheet of paper because it's just too open for me. I have to grab templates, get into Illustrator, and lay out my cards, and then print them, even if it's super basic black and white printing, and then cut those out, and then I can play with that. So it, it gives me a little bit of a barrier there to where I don't, I don't get stuck with, I should have checked this out beforehand, but at the same time, it also means that my initial prototype takes considerably more work than other people. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same way. I almost never do just pen and paper. I go right to my computer. At the very least, I'm writing in a uh, Excel document to make very simple card layouts. Sure. I'm as old school as it gets. I mean, I just hate using computers at all. So basically, I've never printed anything unless I'm printing over a thousand copies. Wow. So, um, yeah, every time I've gone somewhere, it's been literally just blank cards. But I do the arts. I mean, at a certain point, I start making them pretty, but that's all by hand. And so you hand draw all your cards and you don't. You don't do photocopies of them or anything? Well, it depends on the game. So for um, 
in a bind, I got to a certain point where, yeah, I took photocopies and then I sent photocopies out to reviewers. And, but yeah, for Blether, because it uses double-sided cards and you really need to handle it. So I hand drew about 1,200 cards. Wow. Because that's... Um, Holy cow. Yeah, each game is about 300 cards. And it takes me about nine hours of non-stop work. So that's like, yeah, if I have a really good day, basically. But it seems less prohibitive somehow than going to the Game Crafter. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of game design. It can work any way you want to do it, whether it's computer, hand-drawn, or just talking it out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But that is a lot of drawing. That's that's impressive. It really is. Yeah, the game I'm talking about is a pretty ridiculous um, thing. It's, yeah, 300 double-sided cards and, yeah, an illustrated topic on each one. It's... Is that something you're still working on, or is that... Um, what uh, stage is that in? That, I would say, is in late development. But then the thing is, I realised that... So the way I've done my previous two games, like the two that I've actually printed properly, um, I went to Kickstarter with basically no artwork, which I know everyone says, oh yeah, this is a really bad thing to do. But um, yeah, so I made um, In a Bind and Wibble++, and yeah, it at the time it was... I feel in retrospect, going with no artwork done, it does actually help me get better artwork because it was like, yeah, this is all art that I've done so far, but I'm going to redraw it. And then during the course of the campaign, and I left myself about 10 months to just do the arts and then get that finished, which I thought was plenty of time. But yeah, still ended up being a... um, a little late, but still a lot better than most things. But yeah, I feel like um, with this one, because it requires basically 600 drawings rather than only 55, um, yeah, that's something that I realised realistically is going to take me about two years to do. So I realised, okay, in this instance, I do actually need to do the artwork, most of it first to, yeah because people aren't going to, yeah, at this point, I've got, because part of it, I think, is confidence. And I felt like, you know, in the previous occasions, I didn't want to spend time, you know, doing however many hundreds of hours of art and then for for it to not be used. That would just, yeah, be really horrible. Whereas this time I've got to kind of say, you know what, yeah, I'm going to spend about what will that be about like 1200 hours, but I'll do that up front because yeah, it's got to be done and I've got to have faith in my own thing at some point. Wow. Very true. I mean, nowadays you really, you need art going forward to really show up on people's radar for like Kickstarter and any sort of pre-production to build the buzz. Agreed. That has been my situation. I'm impressed that you've been able to uh, make so much progress without art beforehand. 
because I know I've severely struggled over the last couple of years just to build interest in a project without having art to share. Yeah, um, I think parts of it is just I spend so lots of time doing. Um, well, with the first project in a bind, I did some public, lots of public demos, but I think most of it was, yeah, just. I got it to a stage where, yeah, when I'm saying there's no final artwork, there is at least something where I can say this is approximately what it's going to look like. And yeah, it's hand-drawn and I'm spending maybe 10 minutes on each drawing rather than two or three hours on each drawing. Sure. But still, people can get an idea of what it is. It's not like it's all place. Well, it is technically placeholder art, but it's not clip art. So they can see, okay, this is the artist's style. So on the topic of art, Carla, you've recently gotten a lot of art in for Stellar Leap. Can you talk about that process a bit? Because I have never had to deal with getting art. Uh, sure. So I have an artist. His name is Tyler Harris, and he's really fantastic. So uh, we have a Skype chat, and whenever I get ideas for stuff, I just send them to him. And then he'll. Well, we have a Dropbox, so he'll then send a message back and be like, Hey, it's on the Dropbox. Just look at it, and we go back and forth like that. I've been really happy with his work. Cool. That sounds really, really easy. Yeah, I mean, uh, so Tyler, I like I've known him for a really long time. We went to high school together, so it's kind of like we're friends, and it just works really well. Do you mind if I ask? Are you paying uh, per piece, or like for the whole project, or per hour? Uh. The one big payment. So um, I did that for my first game, and I asked him what he wanted. He's like, what have you done? And I was like, well, for, I paid this much for the first game. What do you think? And he'd never done a tabletop game before, so oh, okay. we just went with it. Um, I'm definitely going to talk to him afterwards to see, like, how many hours did he work, like, if it was worth it for him, because um, there's been more back and forth than I thought there would be, and we, well, we originally planned on having everything done by April, and it's July, which, um, yeah, there's still, we still need more art and stuff, so, um, but he hasn't had any complaints, so. Well, that's good, you gotta keep your artist happy. Yes. I mean, it's quite common that an artist will charge you extra per change beyond a certain number. Yes. Also, I, I was just uh, fascinating because I've never had a worked with an artist where I could just talk out ideas and we'd figure out, you know, the total later. It was always up front. I had to lay out this is how many pieces I need. These are the sizes and formats and yada yada yada. Uh, fortunately, everyone I've worked with so far was very forgiving with how many changes would be made, but it's always been this, you know, set parameter and not a ton of back and forth, just a, does this look good? No? Why? Okay, we'll fix that. So with Tyler, um, I even apologize because I'm like, hey, can you change these five things because I'm very particular? And he responded with, uh, he, it was something like, I know I'm not going to get it right the first time. So it could just be a different artist. Sure. Oh, yeah, it sounds like he's really great, easy to work with. Moving back around to starting out in game design, 
If you could talk to yourself right before you started your first game design, what would you tell yourself? Let's start with Bez. Um, well, my first thing that I took to Playtest UK, because let's start there. I mean, you can go back many decades before that, I think. I mean, yeah, in a sense with me, I feel like there's no definite start. But um, yeah, the first thing I ever took to Playtest UK was a game with tiny, tiny chits, literally about um, three millimeters by, I don't know, one centimeter, because yeah, it was a bit ridiculous. And I basically, something I should have told myself was take a bit of time to think about how the physical aspects of the game will affect the experience. Because I used to be a bit of a, okay, it's only about the set of rules. I'm very much mechanically inclined and I used, but it's so much more than that. It's not just about theme. It's also about the physical tactile nature of it. and. I'm sure, you know, you guys all know that already, but... I do now. I didn't at the beginning. I mean, my first game in a bind, I mean, sorry to toot my own horn, but like Jigamix sent me the prototype of the new thing that's coming out, and the card quality is really amazing. It's like PVC cards, and you can literally wash them, and you, I tried to rip one, and you literally cannot rip it. And so... Because it's a game that it gets stuck in your body. I mean, I asked someone, oh, does who'd played the original, does this actually make a difference to you? And she said, well, it's nice because I'm just not worrying about bending it or anything. And something as small as that, and that's, yeah, obviously when you're printing it yourself, you can't afford to do you think about how thick your card stock is. You can't afford to jump to PVC unless you're a giant company. But these things matter, and that's why you get so many stretch goals that are about adding one millimeter of thickness to your tiles or whatever, because, yeah, it really matters. And something like Energy Empire, I don't know if you've all played that. I haven't, no. But Energy Empire, um, the Manhattan Project, the little tiles for the workers are amazingly thick. are literally, I don't know, maybe practically a centimeter thick. They're almost like little meeples. And it matters because when you go into someone else's space to stack things up, you need to make a higher stack. And they could have done this with tiny, like, I don't know, four or five millimeter things, but it wouldn't have been as visually apparent. How big is their stack? How big do you need to put a thing in? And just having that immediacy, having that visual layout, it matters so much. Yeah, my my advice was similar. My first game, which was terrible, I spent a very long time making cardboard chits. I cut a couple hundred hexagons, made a huge board. And then, after hours of work and hand cramps, I finally played the game and realized it was really incredibly boring. And I wasted a lot of my time. And I would say, test it first, then bother printing up and making chits for days. (laughs) But can you really, I mean, you can test it in your mind, but can you really test it without having the physical bits there? Um, I didn't need all of them. It was like a massive, because like I said, I got into it based on Eclipse. So I took ideas from Eclipse, mixed it with ideas I had from Risk as 
a child made a huge hexagon board and mm-hmm. it was it was overboard. I could have made <laughs> two characters worth of stuff instead of all six characters because I never played it with six people. Yeah. That... So go build a little quicker and then if it works, go on. Derek, how about you? Uh, save money. Because, man, I... I made the the very common mistake. Even Overworld talks about this. I bought art for three games that have not been published. And two of them might never be published. But that was, you know, sick. It was a significant amount of money on each of those. In addition to the first game, I printed out like five different versions of it through the game crafter because every time i made a significant change oh man i've got to have a beautiful game crafter version of it man i have just i wasted so much money in my first two to three years of game design that i honestly desperately wish i had now because it would make moving forward with really good games so much easier that's a very good lesson (laughs) carla how about you I'd say to celebrate the small wins and the fact that game design is more of a marathon than a sprint. Like, I get so focused on the next tasks that I never take the time to be like, whoa, I did a thing and that's awesome. That's very good advice. It's so psychological and you've really got to... Yeah, I think that's brilliant, Carla. It is. It's those little victories that allow you to continue making the progress without getting burned out. Yeah, you can't always focus on, like, here's, like, the next 20 things I need to do because you'll never get done the next 20 things. You will Something will always come up. But, like, if you every day you're like, yay, I, I am one step closer to my goal, and that's fantastic. You just need one step every day, and you'll eventually get there. True. So, actually, speaking of getting burnt out, recently on... I want to say it was a Slack channel I was in. Someone said they had been burnt out on design and they just didn't know what to do. Have any of you ever become burnt out? Well, I think that um, during the... I think I recently realized that I probably don't know if this is the same, but I think I have seasonal depression. And so with my first game in a bind... I did the Kickstarter in August. I was expecting to get it delivered by December. And so I told everyone, oh, I'll do it by March. And I thought, okay, I've given myself loads of extra time. There's no way this will be late. And yeah, when it got to December and I thought, okay, I'll still be on the time that I actually told everyone. I've just got to work for all these pictures and I love drawing, I love doing that, but it's the psychological aspects of, oh my God, is this actually correct? Is this, because this is about to go to print, is this correct? And is this going to be good enough? And, you know, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do any edits to this after it. And I don't know, there was a bit of freaking out about it, I guess. And yeah, for me, there's a big difference between messing around and playtesting and then reaching the end and be like that final I don't know two percent or whatever and yeah just being able to commit and yeah in the end after some time I got it done but to be honest there was a month where 
I didn't do very much at all. And yeah, there was someone who recently said something on Twitter, something like, well, if you spend a day trying to work but getting nothing done, you really should have just taken that day off anyway. And that would have been more productive. So in future, I think the lesson is just schedule. You know, if I need to take a month off to kind of reflect before I actually send off the files and get the final things done, kind of, yeah, just allow myself that and take the few weeks off or whatever. That's very true. I mean, you can't rush creativity. I mean, game design, you're eventually creating a product and products have schedules and you have to stick to those for a lot of reasons. But for the entire design process, if you don't have a deadline, you kind of have to just let it happen when it happens. If you rush it, it's going to not work and you can stress yourself out a lot. So, Yeah. I mean, I think that the other thing is, is that in those deadlines, you need to allow time for yourself to step away. And obviously, I mean, going back to Magic the Gathering, which, yeah, I mean, they release sets four times a year, but then they've been doing it for, what, 25 years at this point? Something like that, yeah. 26? 93 is when they started. Yeah, so... There you go. 20, 24 years this year. Oh, sorry, 24. Yeah, so, I mean, at this point, they kind of know, okay, this is how long it's... But also, it's a big team, and they've got the designers, and then they hand it off to developers, and that's part of the whole quality of that game. And if you, are, you don't have that luxury, if you're just a one person doing things, you do need to work out for yourself how much time do you need to step away how much and even when you get to the point where you're trying to do something on schedule you need to put in the schedule time to take a break that's really interesting mine uh my experience was a little bit different i almost burned out a couple of times and it wasn't the amount of work so much as it was just frustration with things beyond my control uh like in the last couple of years, I almost burned out twice because I reached uh, roadblocks in my designs where I literally could not make any more progress with any of my pro- projects without testers, and I had no testers. And it was just so... It got to be too much, and I almost wanted to quit because, well, I can't do anything anyway. And then, in the meantime, I ended up coming up with a new idea and having another thing to work on. Uh, and then more recently... Again, it was frustration where I had several games I submitted to publishers who didn't get back to me with helpful information. Uh, I hit a roadblock in a project I wanted to move forward with, and it was just this culmination of things not working. I couldn't do anything to make any of it work any better, and I was just, I was done. I was just curious because, Derek, you mentioned the frustration of sending stuff off to publishers and them not getting back to you. And yes, sir. I know that, Carla, you've basically done your own stuff, and I was wondering whether, yeah, you guys felt it's more work to do it yourself or to send it off, and which one appealed to you, basically? Um, so I've never sent off my designs. I always started off as a publisher, um, but... Publishing takes up a lot of time, like it takes up so much. 
I've never gotten tired of design just because I get so few like hours to dedicate to design. It's always exciting when I when I actually get to play test and I actually get to like sit down and be like I'm going to design a game or I'm going to design the variant for this game. Sure. Mine um I actually I did start off as uh just wanting to self-publish from the start. Um and that was part of my frustration is I came up with several designs where looking at it and looking at where I wanted the company to be is like, there's, I can't publish that. That's not something that fits the, the audience I'm aiming for, but it might work for these other publishers. Uh, more specifically, I had a, a couple of games that were a format that would be too difficult and expensive for me to personally publish, especially with the small audience I have. And a publisher was running a design contest and I submitted them and they were chosen for extra evaluation. But then the fact that after that evaluation, I got no word back uh, other than not yet. That's what just, that's what frustrated me so bad is there was no feedback. There was no, we like this, but not that. It was just silence. And that was driving me nuts. Yeah, I think it goes back to what Carla was saying about celebrating the, the little successes. Sure. If you if you forget to do that or go a long time without moving forward, it can kind of bring you down. And it's yeah. sometimes tough to stick with the design and push through that block. I think if I submitted designs and just had to wait and wait to hear back from people and I couldn't like submit my design to multiple people at the same time... I think I'd get really frustrated with that because I like I'm a person that needs to see constant progress. Like every day has to be closer to the goal and if you just have to wait like I've heard from from my friends like they'll submit a game to somebody and it'll be months. Yeah. Like literally like 2 or 3 months and you just don't hear back or you hear back from them and they want you to change this about the game and then you show it to them again three months later and then they want you to change another thing and but you never get anywhere you just have these constant change for reasons and i just really like publishing because i get to make the choices sure like i have full control so i get to say like okay this solo variant that's going to be in the game yeah Mr. Anderson, did you say you've submitted for publication, or are you doing it all yourself? Um, neither, actually. I, so far, I've only done contests. My one published game was an entry into a contest, yep. which lost, <laughs> but one of the judges enjoyed it enough that they brought it to the finalist judging night anyway, and it picked up enough steam that they ended up printing it as a smaller version of itself. This is with Button Shy for their wallet game contest. And uh, No, is that how Mortavino became about? In Vino Morta, yeah. It started oh, yes. as a contest entrant for the wallet contest. Yes, uh, sir, the first one. Then they made it, they ended up releasing it as a nano game with the Board Game of the Month Club. Yes, sir. And then there was some space in a print run, so now it's coming back as a wallet game. So <laughs> I kind of won the contest Whoa. the long way. So when's it coming out? Yeah, you did. Um, end of August. It'll be on Kickstarter. Awesome. Yep. So it's, that's one way to do it. Just be really lucky. It is. <laughs> but um, 
I'm trying to pull back on contests because my issue has been work really hard in a contest, submit the contest, don't win the contest, give up on the game and move on. Yeah. So I have a lot of games sitting around 80 or 90%, which could be really good with that extra effort. But I move on to a new contest with a new deadline. So recently I've decided to stop contests and go back to some of those designs and really polish them up. And then I think I'm going to try submitting to a publisher because self-publishing seems really hard. That actually makes perfect sense. It's the reason this year I've started reaching out to publishers because I've been designing for almost four years. And like I've mentioned before, I can't design, I can't work on one project because I always have to have something to work on. So I've always got several and I'm in the same boat where I've submitted to a lot of contests. So I've got lots of games. I really like just sitting around, which therefore means I've got things that I could put that little extra love into and send to somebody else and see if they want to publish it and deal with it. Yeah. Carla, um, I was wondering how many projects you've got going on because it seems like if you want to submit to publishers, you really need to have enough going on that you can submit something and then just forget about it for ages and work on other things and not really care too much about the thing you submitted? Uh, well, right now I have uh, one game, Stellar Leap, that's going to Kickstarter soon, and that's taken up most of my time. But I have another prototype that's playable, and I have, uh, well, the giant list of ideas that I'll take up when I have time. Like, I... So, I mean, how many things do you have going on, Chris and Derek, just now? Like, that you are actively working on see in the past month. Derek, you want to go first? Sure. I've got uh, Ancient Artifacts that I'm taking to Kickstarter. I have a Manhattan Project dice game I'm working on for that design contest. Uh, I was trying to do a hidden movement game for that design contest, but I think I'm going to drop it. Uh, I have a basically Galaxy Trucker roll and write game that I was doing for the Gen Camp contest. Uh, and I have a giant noir detective story game that's in the background because it's a ton of ton of writing and work and stuff but it's a thing i'm constantly thinking and working on and then there's another roll and write legacy book game that i'm working on with a friend uh so you know that many projects like six to eight right now yeah um, right now like i said i gave up on the contests sure so that has let me focus so uh, my game Plutocracy, which is currently a finalist in the GameCrafter Big Box contest. Woot! Although the, that's uh, version 7, and I'm currently on version 10, so we'll see how that one goes. But uh, I've been focusing on that a lot lately. Not having other deadlines has really let me just dig into that, so it's been like two or three playtests a month and designing every day and revision, revision, revision. But I'd say I've got maybe two or three other ones that I'm still adding ideas to documents. Uh, one is an old contest entry that, like I said, I want to go back to. And that's that's been sitting on the back burner for a couple months now. But it's I really want to get it finished. Do you guys feel like maybe that is a way to know if you should be going to a publisher or self-publishing? Because if your style is like doing one single game, and really focusing on it all the time, then maybe you should be publishing it yourself. But if you are working on, like in Derek's 
situation six games and it sounds like they're all completely unrelated. It's not like you are part of one package or anything. And so when you're working on that many things, it seems like maybe you're better suited to going for a publisher. I, I think it really depends on the person because uh, I know so, uh, I've spoken with several published designers who are the types where they really only work on one project at a time. Uh, they may have a couple that are technically active, but really it's, I'm working on this one, and then I only work on that other one because I had to put this one aside for a minute. So they're only actively working on one thing, and they're working with a publisher because he has zero interest whatsoever in doing the work himself. He wants to do the game, but he doesn't want to deal with the marketing and the advertising and finding a printer and the shipping and the logistics and all that mess. Uh, whereas, I mean, even just look at the difference between Carla and me, we both want that control over our projects and to be able to say, this is what I'm publishing and why, but her design process seems to be a bit more focused than mine, whereas mine is kind of all over the place. I'm just going to keep it all moving at one time because I can, and that's how my brain works. So I think it really depends on the individual and if they want to put in the effort to publish themselves. Yeah, I agree. It's, I think a lot of it is, are you willing to put in that extra effort to be a publisher? But having a bunch of designs to work on while you're waiting for responses is a nice way to spend the time. Sure. Uh, if I did submit my games to publishers, I would, of course, start working on other games. Like right now, I only have a few games that I'm working on because just because of lack of time. Like if I had more time in a day, I would have more games, I think. Um, it's also about iterating. Like I can iterate and get a playtest in pretty fast. Like if I want to have a playtest tomorrow, I just start going through my list of people I know that want to play games, and I can I can playtest and then figure out what needs to be done and do that thing and then playtest again and again on the same game. So sure. Um, I think it's also that, like, if I didn't have access to that many playtesters, I would have to have multiple games just so I could be like, hey, playtest these three games, and then I can get data and fix all of them in the time until I can playtest again. Bez, how about you? How do you feel on this question you've asked us all? Um, I don't know, I was kind of thinking about, you mean how many games am I working on? Yeah. Oh, um... Well, both. We've actually answered two questions. Yeah. What was the other one? Uh, the difference between publishing yourself or going to a publisher. And the based on the quantity of games that you have. I feel like um, I'm working on a few things, but most of the things I'm working on right now are for one deck, which is, I don't know if you guys know the Wibble++ deck I mm -hmm. released just recently. And so, yeah, I've got about um, 20, 30 things that I'd say I'm actively working on right now for that alone. But yeah, except for that, there's probably like um, four things that I've worked on since the start of the year. So not very many and like maybe one or two in the past month that haven't been for Wibble++. But, um, yeah, I feel like, for me, I almost feel like um, going to a publisher has its own sorts of challenges. I mean, you say 
oh, publishing yourself seems like lots of work, but it depends what you want to do. Because if for you, drawing the things isn't work, and if for you, you know, that's something that you actually enjoy, and, you know, there's, whereas going to the publishers and actually having to pitch to them and having, you still have to market to them, you still have to potentially make a sell sheet. I mean, I've True. seen what people go through and it is work to get a publisher. It's work to pitch to publishers. Yeah. Yes, it's work to publish yourself, but it's just a different kind of work. It's not like it's necessarily more work, if you know what I mean. True. It's always easier to play to your strengths and what you enjoy doing. Because I'd say for almost everyone in this business, it's a hobby, not a job. So I have been on the other side of speed dating as a publisher, and that stressed me out so much. Like, I cannot imagine being a designer and having to pitch to somebody and, and convince them that my game is really good in five minutes. Like, like it would be so much pressure to do so. Definitely. Although I do look forward to doing it someday, because it's a good kind of pressure that'll make me move forward. Yeah, people say that if you're scared of public speaking, then you should do stand-up comedy because it's like the extreme form of it and it's really good practice. So I can't claim to have actually gotten up and done stand-up comedy because you need to book pretty far ahead to be allowed under open slots. And, but yeah, I just thought I'd throw in that random bit of advice from someone else. Good advice. So we are closing in on the end of our time. So is there any other bits of advice any of you would like to give to a new designer just starting out, things to avoid, things to definitely do, resources that have helped you, anything like that? Uh, Bez, let's start with you. You know, sometimes I find it really good to think about who your playtesters are. Like, if you've, I mean, just now, I'm, like I say, I'm in London, I'm really lucky, and whatever kind of game I make, there are people that will play it with me and I go to about three different um, design meetups where there's other designers that I'm playing with and I could put literally anything and they'd basically play it. But let's say you're showing stuff off to maybe it's only your family or maybe it's only your close friends who love this particular kind of game. Well, if those are the only playtesters you've got, then make a game for those playtesters, if you know what I mean, and make something that you can get playtested, basically, because that is the bottleneck. And so I feel like in deciding how to design, in deciding what to design, you kind of need to go with that, to be honest. Interesting. That's good advice. Yeah. Derek, any, any advice? Uh, for me, the obvious one that I still am surprised to see is don't be afraid to share your work. I, the number of people that you see that just they don't want to let anybody know what it is because they're worried about it being stolen nobody's going to steal your work you can't copyright well you can copyright parts of it but it's a lot of work and a lot of money it's not worth it share that's how you get the best feedback the best growth really is by letting other people see it and hearing what they think because I know with my almost every single one of my projects the best advances I've had came from somebody seeing it and throwing out a like almost word vomit, just a random idea 
just because they wanted to contribute. I'm like, you know, that's actually a really great thing. I should do that. That's very good advice. I mean, I find that it's actually hard to get people even interested in looking at your idea. So there's no reason to hide it. Yeah. You should be pushing it as much as you can to find those people that have the time and interest to give you feedback because the feedback is exactly what you need to move forward. Exactly. Carla, any, any, um, advice? Uh, yeah. So if you have an idea, prototype it like as soon as you can, like you might have the best idea, but until you make it and try it, like, well, it's not going to be good the first time, and that's fine. You just need to play test it and figure out what's wrong so that you can make it better and then play test again and again until you're like crazy because you've play tested so much. But that is the most important thing is to start the play testing process. Definitely. I'm a big fan of the phrase, fail faster, fail forward. Yes, sir. Yes, you don't know if an idea works, but, but just try it. Like, even if it's just a mechanic, like... Like, put it to the table, see if it's good, and if it's not, then you know it's not good. You don't have to focus on it anymore. But if it is good, then make it better. Yep. Exactly. So, anything else before we close the show up? Well, I, I wanted to say that one thing I really feel is important is to say that whatever you want to do, however you work, it's absolutely fine. Because sometimes, I don't know, there's a lot of things I've read where they say, oh, you must do this, or, okay, you must um, playtest this many times, or you must playtest in this particular way, or, oh, every good designer does this. And if you, if that doesn't work for you, then it's fine. And everything that someone writes, I mean, to be honest, it's so easy to fall into absolutism and to say, oh, yeah, this is the way it is, whereas nothing is the way it is it's just that's the way it maybe works for you for that person personally or that's the way that they think it is but no one we're all working out this stuff together and so just do whatever works for you and maybe you know maybe your first thing might be amazing maybe your first game might be your best game or maybe you'll stumble onto something amazing in your millionth idea that no one else has thought of and maybe it genuinely is worth protecting. Let's be honest, probably not, but maybe it is. And <laughs> I, yeah, just, yeah, whatever you want to do is fine. And it's all about having fun at the end of the day. And we're just here to enjoy life, hopefully. That's an excellent point. It's a, it's a very results-oriented industry. It is. So your, your goal of a great game, you can get there in many different ways. Exactly. Hmm. What I'd really like to see more of, and this kind of goes with Bez's point too, is instead of people just saying, no, I hate that game, or I hate that game type, you're a designer. Why not sit down and try and approach that genre or that game type in a way that is fun for you? That's really, I love, love seeing that. I've had a lot of personal growth doing that. And I think it really helps grow the industry and grow these genres so to be more interesting games. Because they don't need to be, you know, pigeonholed. It's not that every deck builder has to work the exact same same way. If you don't like it, come up with a new approach. Carl, anything else to add? Uh, I'm good. <laughs> okay, then with that, let's close this up. Carla, 
where can people reach you and what have you got coming up? They can reach me on Twitter at Weird Giraffes. I have a website at WeirdGiraffeGames.com, actually. Um, if they want to sign up for my mailing list, which is amazing, and I send it out every month with very few typos, it's at <laughs> Stellar-Leap.com. And... My next thing coming up is Star Leap on Kickstarter. It's September 18th, so mark your calendars. It's coming. Awesome. Derek? Uh, I am also on Twitter at festerdooley.com. Uh, or .com, sorry. Uh, and that's Fester, like Uncle Fester, Dooley, my last name, D-U-L-E-Y. Uh, I am always on there. I have a website. You're better off going to Twitter and getting the link because unless you speak French and know how to spell Lanyap, this is going to be a long conversation. Uh, and like Carl, I have a game coming soon to Kickstarter called Ancient Artifacts. It's a roll and write dice game, and it'll be launching August 28th. Awesome. And Bez? Um, well, on Twitter, I am Stuff by Bez, and my website is stuffbybez.com, and Instagram, I'm Stuff by Bez, and I just released a game yesterday the wibble plus plus deck which um it's mainly in the uk because i don't have a lot of reach but if you're in the us you can get it through dnd game alliance and stuff but it'll be at gen con because of them which is awesome and yogi with Zhigamik is coming out in september and that will also be at gen con cool uh, I am at BlueCubeBGS on Twitter. You can find the show on Twitter at the BG Workshop. Um, both those have websites that are linked there. And Invino Morte is coming to Kickstarter the end of August-ish. I don't have a date yet. <laughs> I will definitely be posting that in a lot of places once I find out. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the new format, and we'll be back in two weeks. That does it for this episode. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can find it on Twitter at the BG Workshop, on Facebook.com slash the Board Game Workshop, and email theboardgameworkshop at gmail.com. Show notes are on theboardgameworkshop.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.